Hello, my friend, and welcome to the Mark Stuchowski podcast, the show that's all about helping you perform at an optimum level. I am Mr. Productivity, and it is my obsession in life to teach you how to be a more productive version of you. And one of the ways I do that is by inviting you to attend my upcoming webinar on Saturday, June 27th at noon Eastern. It's going to be all about distractions and how to conquer them. So if you're interested, you can either go to the show notes, the link in the show notes here for this podcast, or go to MrProductivity.com and click the banner at the top of my website, Saturday June 27th at noon, it's a webinar. It's going to help you deal with distractions. On the show today, Melanie Warner. She is a best-selling author, speaker, publisher, and entrepreneur. We're going to talk a lot about self-publishing, and there is something really key that she's going to reveal to you that you need to write down. I'm not going to tell you what it is yet. Find out in the episode. Here we go. Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, I am excited to have you on the show because we are eventually, at some point in the show, we're going to talk about self-publishing because I've often heard that everyone's got a book in, in themselves, and I want to know your thoughts on that. But before we get started with our conversation, why don't you take about 20 seconds and tell us who you are and what you do? Well, my name is Melanie Warner. I live in California. Uh, oh my gosh, I sound like I'm on a game show or something, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> I um, I basically am in. I've been in publishing for 25 years. I've owned magazines and newspapers, and then I also have a book publishing company. And I pretty much help people uh, teach them how to write their books, launch their book to bestseller, and then how to leverage the bestseller status to kind of build a business or a career. So, 25 years, you're just getting started. Yes, <laughs> but you know. I feel like it because there's so much technology that is younger than me (laughs) and uh, trying to learn that can be a challenge. I think at a certain point, you know, yeah. What, what's interesting is, you know, in the time we live in now, this episode will be out on June 19th, two days before my 55th birthday, by the way, listener, just so you know, Father's Day. Well, happy birthday. Well, thank you. I, I tell my I tell my daughters, don't you jip me now. You give me a Father's Day gift and you give me a birthday gift. None of this combination stuff. So it's kind of like the people at birthdays on Christmas. You don't rip them off. You get them extra presents because it's their birthday, too. Um, That's but, right. <laughs> you know, what? it's funny. My dad's birthday is June 4th, and it's always about two weeks before Father's Day. And you so, give them two separate presents, right? We do. In fact, you know what we did uh, for Father's Day this year? It was kind of cool. What's that? We we hired Danny White from the Dallas Cowboys to send him a video message. Oh, wow. Because he's a huge Dallas Cowboys fan. So we gave him a little script of what to say. It was pretty funny. You so know, it's kind of a cool little gift, you know, for somebody who loves the Cowboys. He literally has every single Cowboys game on VHS from the seventies, like Herschel Walker, Roger Staubach, all of those guys back in the day. And he still knows all their stats. So it's pretty crazy. (laughs) You know, what's amazing is, you know, we're all human beings. And when you look at like a Danny White or you look at Tony Robbins or Oprah Winfrey, they used to be a nobody. I mean, we're all somebody, but what I mean is no one is born famous unless you're born into royalty over in England. You you right. have to start with one email follower, which is your mom, or one <laughs> Twitter follower. And we look at these people, and 
and we're like, wow, they won the Heisman, they won the Super Bowl, they won the MVP. And I, I told my wife, as I grow my business as a brand, when I begin to be as big as Elon Musk or Mark Cuban or Damon John or Oprah Winfrey or Tony Robbins, et cetera, et cetera, don't let me be a jerk. Now, I'm not saying they're jerks. I say, I don't want right. to be a jerk. I want to be the same person I am today as I am when I'm like uber successful. Because I have met some people here in the Houston area who have air quotes here, made it, and they look at you like, oh, you're beneath me. I don't want to be that guy. Um, mm-hmm. One of the people I really admire, although I don't admire his mouth, is Gary Vaynerchuk. I don't like the potty mouth. But one thing is when people ask me, want to be on my show, they will say, well, how many how many downloads do you get? And I never tell people that because what that tells me is that you're more interested in seeing how many listeners I have that you can expose your message to instead of serving. And Gary said one time, he doesn't care if you have four listeners or 4,000 or 4 million. If you ask me on a show and he has the time, he'll show up and give value. And I think everyone should do that. I think if you're invited to be on a show, no matter what is a podcast, a Facebook live, Instagram live, I don't care what it is. And you say, yes, you should do it because you want to serve that audience, not with any expectation to get anything in return. What do you think about that? Oh, I agree 100%. I think when you give from your heart, it always comes back to you. And I think at this day and age, you know, if you're a leader, you have to be transparent because there's so much clarity and there's, it, there's so much transformation in that when people can see who you really are and that you live by example. And that can take can go a long way with a lot of people. Yeah, I, I there's one guy I really admire, Brendan Burchard, and mm-hmm. he has built himself up from a poor child in Butte, Montana, and he's this mega person development trainer. But when you go to his his uh, seminars, remember when we used to go to seminars, we used to get in planes and go to places. Um, <laughs> but he would give so much intense, uh, you know, training for three days, he wouldn't come out and mingle with the people. Now, that's his choice. I'm not saying that's wrong wrong or right. But for me, I'm like, if these people paid all this money, I want to meet everyone. Gary Vaynerchuk wants to meet everyone on the planet. And I at first, I thought that was kind of stupid. But now I'm like, I want to meet everyone. Even if we don't agree, we're all human beings. And we're living in a time now where we're very divisive, very angry. But yet, if we were invaded by Martians, we would all come together. Remember how we came together after September 11th, September 12th, we were a United, unified nation. And we need to get away from all the divisiveness and the hatred and black, white, purple, green, orange, and say, you know, we're all human beings and we need to come together because I don't think this anger and hatred is really serving our legacy or our society or as our legacy as a human being. Absolutely not. And one thing I remember my grandmother told me when I was little is we're all the same color on the inside. Yes. Which <laughs> is so true. You know, it's funny, as you were talking, I was thinking about you're in Houston. I love the uh, Osteens and like going to that church. I think that was like the huge thing, you know, going years ago and, and being amazed at how much Joel Osteen and his wife, Victoria, would actually meet every person that wanted to meet them. They, yes. I mean, there were thousands of people there and they would take the time after every service to personally go through the line and shake hands with people. And that, that really stuck with me for a long time. And I think during this crisis, you know, I would watch the show on TV, being out in California, seeing him preach to an empty stadium. It was just, that was when it really hit me like, wow, this thing is really happening. This whole crisis thing is crazy. Yes. And, and, you know, talking about people that 
are down to earth. You know, when I met them, I was going through a very personal challenge. I had just lost my son and I was very emotional and they were so personal to me. Like there were thousands of people standing there waiting to meet them. And they took the time to stop and talk to me, pray with me and personally email me and follow up. And that to me, that, that meant so much to me. And that was 15 years ago. Wow. So that still stayed with me. And, um, it was really interesting because it, it was a few seconds out of their day, but it's something that really helped heal my heart at that time. And I think when, you know, when you are a leader in, in the world, whether like you said, whether you're talking to one person or a thousand people, you have to show up and be who you are, you know, and, and just and give everything you can to the people that you're there with at that moment. I agree a hundred percent. And I remember my wife and I have Disney plus, and there was a show on there about, they were doing the behind the scenes of American IO. They were filming at some Disney resort in Hawaii and Katy Perry was one of the judges and they actually talked to, I don't want to say her handler, but like the producer of the show and says that Katy Perry is the same person on stage as offstage. She really loves people. She doesn't take her success for, for granted. And I, I find that very refreshing because a lot of people, they get into this stratosphere of fame and they're like, they look down on the rest of the people. But when I see someone like a Katy Perry or someone like that who says, you know what? I, I'm a human being just like you. You know, I just, I just, I'm a little few steps ahead of you, or I've had some different breaks than you, but I'm not better than you. And I really like when people like that, because you see a lot of uh, sports players when they get in the NBA, NFL, NHL, Major League Baseball, they have this attitude that I'm better than you. No, you're not, because you could die tomorrow. And, you know, Prince passed away. um, Michael Jackson passed away. Aretha Franklin passed away. All these people, famous people passed away. And, you know, they're still gone. It doesn't mean how big you are when you're gone, you're gone. And I, I would right. rather give a hundred percent of what I have now to everyone I meet. And I want people to say, Oh, that was a nice guy. I don't want people to say, yeah, this guy's a jerk. That's why I would never run for president because I could not bear someone not liking me. <laughs> well, that's true. That is tough. And you know, you're talking about Tony Robbins earlier. He's a personal mentor of mine. I've worked with him for many, many years and um, actually have programs with him right now. And his company, he and his company send me a lot of referrals, which is kind of cool. But I always laugh about, I learned so much more from his failures. I mean, yeah. you know, he, you talk about how you have to start with one. Well, back then they had to pay for infomercials, right? Mm-hmm. They had to um, invest all this money, like $25,000, $30,000, even, you know, 20, 30 years ago, just to do a marketing plan or to do a sales letter or to create a, a campaign before email. I mean. And he has all these great failure stories that we can all learn from. And even when we, you know, start a business or we create a workshop or a mastermind or a podcast, like you said, you have to start with a few people and build it and keep giving value to people. So even someone like that, who has this huge business and following all over the world, you know, his first seminar, he thought 500 people were going to show up and five people showed up <laughs> and he had to pay for 500. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I heard so, similar stories with Brendan Burchard the first time he did a, a seminar. It was 25 people, he said, and he counted the, the people who were coming in to bring the water and the servers and the technicians. He counted everybody who was there, and he says probably only four people paid for it. But see, people don't see that. They see <laughs> Brendan and Tony and Oprah now, but they don't understand. They weren't born that way. And what I try to tell people, I say, look, at everyone's on a journey. Everyone starts at the starting line. Everyone. Just some right. people get there faster and some people grow faster and some people achieve more than we do, but we all start at the starting blocks. And here's the truth. If you're born into it and then people don't respect you, they think that you didn't earn it on your own right. And Trust so, fund baby. <laughs> yeah. And, and there, and people kind of have this resentful nature towards that type of person. I mean, so when you can work hard and be your own person, be self-made and, and the people that love you are the ones who made you right. Mm. That they want to invest in you. If you were a stock, they would buy stock in you. And if, you know, for so many of us, would we buy stock in ourselves? You know, and that's really the key is, is would we invest in ourselves? You know, when we have to look at our disciplines and our daily habits, you know, we have to put ourselves in timeout. You know, we have to punish ourselves <laughs> for certain things. So we can't expect everybody else to dictate our standards and what we're going to do during the day, what we're not going to do during the day, you know? And, and I think having that discipline and making sure we're doing things that are productive, you know, I always tell my kids, the key to success is not doing what you love. The key to success is doing what you don't feel like doing and doing it, mm. you know, because it's easy to do what you love. It's hard to go do the tasks and the things that you don't want to do that lead you to doing what you love. Well, Melanie, I've often heard that everyone's got a book in them and I'm interested to hear what you think to say, because you have a little bit of experience of book, book publishing. So do you really believe that everyone has a book in them? And if that's true, should everyone write a book? That's a great question. Um, I think, yes, everybody does have a book in them because everybody on the planet, no matter who they are, how old they are, they have life experience in some way. You know, even young children, we can learn so much from them about being a kid. You know, my son's 11 years old and he's writing a book and it's going to be a best-selling book, you know, because it's, it's like there's a strategy, there's a formula to marketing your book, but at the same time, you have to write the book that people want to read, not the book you want to write. Wow, that's so important people, right there. Say that again so people don't gloss over it. You have to write the book that people want to read, not the book you want to write. Wow. And that's the number one mistake that I see a lot of authors make is they just go out and write their book. And they think that, oh, my mom did the artwork for the cover and it's special to me that that's going to translate to somebody else. And someone else can look at it and think, that looks like two potatoes. What is that? <laughs> <laughs> you know? And we got so focused on ourselves, we forget to solve a problem for the reader. And so we try to help people focus on the power of one, where they write for one person as a nonfiction self-help or educational type book, like expertise. They solve one problem, they write one book, and they promote it on one platform, you know, and it, it just kind of gives this, this powerful focus instead of thinking that you're writing something that's going to water down and reach a million people. And, you know, when you, when you can focus on really thinking about who you're writing for, you can picture that person as you're 
writing from your soul to theirs, like this love letter to them to really help them solve this problem based on your own experience of something that you've solved for yourself, then yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that have that kind of wisdom. And now more than ever, there's a lot of people in the world that are hurting. And if you have the ability to cure somebody's emotional cancer and you don't share that information with them, then to me, that's just selfish and it's wrong and it's fearful. I love that. And one of the questions that I have for you is from a personal perspective, we're not talking about the overall publishing statistics. Do you prefer books that are print, audiobooks, or ebooks? And the reason why I ask this question is I grew up with print books and then I fell in love with ebooks. Oh, I got an iPad. I could take my books everywhere with me or with a Kindle and I can listen to audiobooks. But the funny thing with the podcast is a lot of my guests will send me copies of their books. They'll be signed copies of their books. And I have fallen back in love with the print book. I'm actually a self-admitted book smeller. I love smelling books, <laughs> new and old. And and so even though I listen to audiobooks when I'm out my daily run, I love a print book. I'm like I said, I'm gonna be fifty-five on Sunday, but I really like a print book. So Melanie, your personal preference. If you had a choice to read an ebook, a print book, or an audiobook, which would you choose and why? That's a great question. And it really depends on the type of book that it is. Um, and if you look at the stats for Amazon, the interesting thing is that they're outselling print books three to one compared to ebooks. So people are going back to print. And if you're going to give somebody a gift of a book, which I love giving books, I love reading books and I love giving books as gifts. If I'm going to give somebody a book as a gift, I want to give them a hard copy. Yeah. It just feels cheesy to send them an ebook and <laughs> yes. here's a download and figure that out, mom or grandma. You well, know? if you give them a Kindle with a book on, that's okay. But they're just sending you the, the little email, which is not, it's like you said, it's very impersonal. Right. And and there's a process now that's kind of cool on Amazon for authors that when you, you know, when you publish your book, you can actually make it lendable. So if someone buys your book, your ebook, for example, you can lend it to someone else for like two weeks and you can't read it while they're reading it, but it gives you a chance to share your ebook with somebody, which I think is kind of a cool thing. Yeah. Um, and I also think too, audiobooks are great. And right now, audiobooks are one of the fastest growing segments in the book world. Um, and we're finding because of the, the crisis, a lot of the print books were delayed. So then, uh, then ebooks picked up again. So the trends change pretty much every week or two on what people are buying and how they're buying and how they're consuming and reading. But it was funny. I'm a print snob. I've been a, a magazine publisher <laughs> and a book publisher. So I love print. And I thought there's no way in heck I am going to ever be a digital book person. Like I just don't want to read a book in my phone. And then when the Kindle came out and you could not only, you know, read your book, but you could put notes because I love to read books and highlight them. Mm -hmm. And I read a lot of, you know, self-help, nonfiction books. And, and I've always loved those kind of books. And I find them, like you said, the education continues. And my whole life, I've, since I was 15 years old, I've been reading self-help and studying all of these mentors. And I just always love that environment and the wisdom and the knowledge that comes from a mentor of like, you know, listen to the people who have what you want and learn from those people that are doing what you want to do. I just think it's such a powerful tool that we have to be able to tap into. So I'm more drawn to the nonfiction books and true stories and memoirs. I do love to read for fun, but I hardly ever read for fun. So I don't read a lot of fiction. 
Um, but when I do, I get really involved in the story and I like to physically hold the book and like you said, smell it and take <laughs> it with me. And yeah, it's going to make my suitcase heavier, but I like to physically have the book sitting by the pool or something. Cause it's really hard to sit by the pool and read an ebook. It's just not cool. Yeah. And not only that, when people say when, <laughs> when the Kindle first came out, you're going to have 8 billion books on there. I'm like, really? How many books are you going to read at once? Maybe two. Exactly. And so when I'm on vacation, I would bring like, I bring a nonfiction and the fiction book with me. It doesn't take up a lot of room. I just, I don't know. I've done the whole loop. Well, obviously, when I run, I'm not going to read a book. When I run, that'd be kind of dangerous. I do listen to audiobooks and, but I do like print books. So thank you for sharing that with us. But let's talk about publishing because. I was born in 1965, and back then there was no internet. Now, if you're a younger listener, yes, we did survive the age without internet and social media. There was <laughs> those people did come out from that. People go, you didn't have a phone in your car? No, it was attached to the wall. Um, we did survive, but the interesting thing is back then you probably could sell published, but it was really hard. Now with Amazon's uh, Create Space and there's a, you know countless others, you can sell published. Now there's advantages and disadvantages. Now you certainly know way more about the differences between this. But what I heard that even when you go to a publisher route, that you still, as an author, have a lot of work. It's not like you write the book and hand it to them and they just do all the work, right? No, not at all. In fact, I had a major publishing deal uh, with a mentor. He was a New York Times bestselling author. He was an attorney. He was a publisher. He was also a minister, had his master's in business, finance, all this stuff. And somebody that I had known for years that I personally had worked with um, who was one of the biggest publishers on Amazon. And it was a Christian publishing house, which was crazy. Uh, so I released my book. I signed a 20-year book deal because I have a book wow. series that is the new Chicken Soup for the Soul. So my mentors were Mark Victor Hansen and Jack Canfield, and they basically gave me the business model that I'm using. They sold the rights to Chicken Soup for the Soul, and they basically said, okay, this concept would work for you this is how you do it. And it's basically, it's called defining moments where we kind of share stories of people who have overcome some type of hardship. And we put all those stories in one book where we give a transitional tip and we kind of help people get through that problem. So it gives anyone that's going through a challenge in their life, a chance to plug into a community and not be alone and ever feel alone in that challenge, because there's not a lot of resources out there when people are really struggling and they're really in the thick of being in this hole like I was years ago, I felt so alone and so ashamed. I didn't want to tell people I was, you know, sucking at life and and, and that I needed <laughs> self-help. You know, I'm like, how can I help myself if my if I suck so bad, you know? Um, and so they gave me the model. So I went to this major publisher who was a friend of mine that I trusted, and they released my book, and it, I was in you know, 6,000 bookstores, you know, all over the country. I was traveling, doing book signings. It was pretty cool. And I'd walk into a major bookstore and see my book next to Dale Carnegie, Oprah Winfrey, Tony Robbins. Wow. And that was a trip. That was How a pretty cool amazing that? <laughs> It really was. But here's the thing. After three years, that book, I we sold thousands and thousands, like 50,000 copies of the book all over the place and Amazon and bookstores and book signings. And every time I would travel, I'd do a book signing in Hawaii or wherever. And I would take books with me when I would speak at events and they'd say, hey, you don't have to, we won't pay you, but why don't you fly out here on your own dime, pay for your own food and hotel, and you can sell books. And I thought, wow, I'm going to get in front of a thousand people that would want to buy my book. That sounds great. And I would do that and I might sell six books. Oh, <laughs> and, I was like, and then I would spend more money 
like shipping. Cause if you ship books to a hotel, they charge you a handling fee to receive it at the hotel. And then if you put them in your, your, um, you know, if you think you're going to sell, you know, out of a thousand people, I got to bring like 200 books. Right. So you, you know, you pay to ship them and then you pay to ship them home and then, or wow. you pay to put them in your suitcase because it's over 50 pounds and then you have to pay extra. And so there's no easy way to schlep books around like in that. And I thought I was going to make all this money and long story short, after three years, I never got paid one dime mm. from this publisher. And I got my rights back. I remember it was August 21st because that was the last conversation I had with this person. And that day they said, okay, you have, you, you have all your rights back. And I said, look, I won't sue you if you give me the rights back to my own book. And I'm just being honest. This is what happened. And a lot of people know the story. I'm not going to say the company or the person, but um, that day they gave me the rights back. I had it in writing. I had to fight legally to get my rights back because when I went to publish my own book on Amazon, Amazon said, you don't own the rights to this book. And I said, yes, I do. And I had the agreement. So that day I got a call from the FBI. Oh. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a phone call from no, the FBI. No, the FBI has never called me. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't want that call. And they asked me, how, how do I know this person, my publisher? And uh, what's the nature of the relationship? Because they'd been tracking him, I guess, and then seeing emails and conversations and that day, that person was arrested and indicted oh, uh, wow. for a lot of other things. And that was the last time I ever talked to him. And thank goodness that day I got my rights back. So I bought, I, I had my own rights back because my agreement was they had it for two years and then I get it back if they don't do anything with it. And so I, you know, got the book back and republished it myself. Within two weeks, I hit the number one bestseller list. Um, and I was able to leverage that to build a whole business and, um, and sell more books and have more credibility with people. And then I started getting paid more to speak at events. You know, I, I got hired at Mensa to speak at a national Mensa conference because people wanted to learn how to write their book. And so the more success I had with my own book, the more people started coming out of the woodwork saying, Hey, can you show me how to do what you did? And can you organize it in a way where I can <laughs> understand this frenzy of like writing a book and the process of self-publishing. So having had that insight of having a major book deal that went wrong and self-publishing, I can tell you 110%, I would self-publish all the way. And the reason is this, when you have a major book deal, you're very lucky. I was lucky to get a 20% royalty and that was one of the highest in the industries. But it means, you know, 20% of nothing is still nothing. Mm -hmm. And if you sell 10,000 books at even a 20% royalty, what happens is they sell your book and then there's wholesalers. So your book might retail for mine was $13.95. So plus tax, roughly 15 bucks. They were wholesaling it at $7 to other people. So when I was trying to sell my own book online for the retail price, all these other people were undercutting me and selling my own book and making more money than I was, even with the major publisher. Wow. So, so that was a big lesson learned. And um, now as a self-publisher, so let's say you do, you have 10,000 books that you sell with the, with the publisher and you're lucky if you get a dollar a book, whereas if you own the rights to your own book and you keep a hundred percent of the royalties, even if you partner with Amazon, you know, Amazon has changed the publishing world forever mm. and you don't have to do, you don't have to buy 10,000 books like you used to and keep them in your garage and try to sell them to everybody. Yep. You can do print on demand now, which people don't know. and so what's cool is you can order one book or a hundred or however many you want. And 
you split the cost. There's a certain percentage with Amazon. So you get your own wholesale price. Then when you go to events, you're not getting two or three dollars per book. You're basically making the profit, the, the lion's share, like 70% of that royalty. Yeah. And the rest is going into your cost with Amazon. So it's just then people get intimidated by the marketing side. There's a lot you can do to market your book, and we don't have time to get into that today. But it really, you know, writing your book is only 5% of the process because you still have to market. So even though I had a major publisher, that doesn't mean they were going out and marketing my book. And more publishers today, now more than ever, are really struggling. And they're looking for people that they can publish that have a big following. So if you can sell 50,000 books, you might get a major publishing deal. But that doesn't mean you're going to make that much money. If you have the ability to sell 50,000 books, would you rather make a dollar per book? You know, to sell because 50,000 books is a lot. That's a lot of people Mm -hmm. who you have to connect with and make them feel something about your message to buy your book, no matter what your book is. Um, So you can either sell 50,000 books at a dollar each, or you can sell 50,000 books and make five to $10 each off the royalty. So most people would rather go with that option. And the upfront costs aren't as much as people think. So that's my argument for why you should self-publish for sure. (laughs) Very exhaustive. And I really appreciate that. Now, one of the things you mentioned, and I want to make sure before we wrap up that we answer this question, best-selling list. Now, for me, I'm old school. It's always been, if you land on the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, or USA Today, those were the key metrics. And I, many years ago, well, not many years ago, about two years ago, I had Larry Wingen. He's identifies himself as the pit bull of personal development. And he says a lot of real authors, they look at, you know, cause some, everyone's saying I was a best-selling author on Amazon of a sub, 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 sub category for 10 minutes. And people are truly best-selling authors who have made the New York Times or Wall Street Journal or USA Today list, they're like, no, you are an Amazon bestselling author for 10 minutes on a subcategory list. What are, what are you, what's your opinions on what is truly a bestselling author? That's a great question. Um, so the Amazon bestseller rank is the ABSR. You know, that one is a different algorithm because they update their list every hour. So there are people that can specifically target a category or keyword that may hit the bestseller even just by luck. And there's others that that can market it. But it's become so competitive that you still have to sell in some categories two or three thousand books in order to hit the bestseller list, even just for that hour or that day. And I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds and thousands of books on Amazon. When you look at Wall Street Journal, New York Times, some of those you it's a it's definitely based on sales but they change their their algorithms are weekly okay and they and there are some books that have sold that many copies that still don't show up on the list so some people argue that it's political a lot of times it's marketing um but you know we've seen some people that have hit those lists that have had to do their own promotion and marketing to get to that level but it is possible and you know we had programs that help show people how to do that as well. And you definitely have to sell a lot more books that the credibility of being, you know, a New York times bestseller certainly holds more weight than being an Amazon bestseller, but it might cost you 30, Mm $40,000 in marketing. You know what I mean? And not everybody's willing to spend that to hit that level. But when you do then at the time, because you have to sell books and if no one knows who you are, then you have to market yourself. You have to do promotions. There's, 
things like these type of podcasts, then that you've got more national media. But how do you get on Good Morning America to talk about your book if no one knows who you are and you haven't sold any book copies, right? Yeah. So there's a whole process to that. And it really is about PR and marketing and book sales. And to me, it goes back to what you said toward the beginning of the show, write the book people want to read, not the book you want to write. And I know a lot of my friends have uh, self-published books. And they're like, what do you think? And I'm like, I don't want to hurt their feelings, but I'm like, I didn't want to read this book. <laughs> this is not the book I want. And that, I mean, that, that statement you said is so powerful. So listener, if you get nothing else out of this and you're thinking about writing your book, I want you to write that down, write the book you want, people want to read, not the book you want to write, write that down as you sit down to write your book. And every time you sit down to write, read that out loud. And I think that'll help the listener go, okay, is this a book I want to write? Or is this a book I want people to read? Because when you said that, it's just like, boom, it's my head exploded. It's like, wow, that is so powerful. And I think maybe if you're a serious writer, you need to tattoo that on your arm or something like that. Cause you need to understand just cause you think it's a great story. You may be the only one and your mom, of course. Well, Mark, that is, I'm glad that you brought that up again, because that has been my mantra for over 30 years as a publisher of magazines. Um, I've been a, a journalist and a writer, travel writer, um, and a publisher for almost 30 years. And from day one, we've always said we have to write about what people want to read about, yeah. not what we want to promote, not what we want to talk about. Whether we're writing copy for an advertiser or a sponsor, or whether we're writing a story um, about one of our cover stories, we still have to tell the story that people want to read. It's the same and, with the podcast. I mean, I, I don't, yes. I don't create guests. On, I don't have guests on my show because I want to talk about book publishing. I think about right. what do, what do my listeners want to hear? So I think that rule, that statement you had applies to whether you're going to write a book, start a podcast, get big on social right. media, whatever. It has to be what people want. Otherwise it's going to fail. Well, I think it was, um, I'm trying to remember who said it. He said, it's much easier to sell what people want to buy. Yes. <laughs> and I, I think that was, um, what's his name? The guy that owns the, that owns the LA times, um, I King of California. Of what's his name? Why am I blanking out? I have no idea who his name is. The listener is going, it's thus and such. We, I know. Can't, we can't hear you. So <laughs> I hate, I hate doing that to you guys, but I'll we'll have to tune in later to figure it out. No, <laughs> but, but the other, the other thing too, that goes along with that is you have to become the person who wrote the best-selling book. Ah. And you have to do that in, you know, mentally, emotionally prepare yourself because any of you who are parents, when you have a baby, even if your baby's ugly, it's cute, right? No one's <laughs> going to say your baby's ugly, but the minute you write a book, especially if it's self-help or very personal or a memoir and people start criticizing it and they start shredding you in reviews, that is really painful. And so many people don't write a book mm. because they're afraid of the criticism they would get. And therefore they need to do that personal development, you know? And I love what you said about personal development. I think it is the most important thing we can do in our lives. I do it every day as well. And here's the deal. You, I can teach people how to lose weight or make more money or write a book or any of those things. But there's one part that if you work on this, this only this one thing, it will fix everything else in your life. And that is your relationship with yourself. That is what personal development is. And when you focus on not what everybody else is doing and how they did something to you, or, you know, I love what Tony Robbins says. He says, if you think about that things are happening for you, not to you. 
Yeah. And that just changes everything in, in your circumstances. And when you start to look at how these things that are negative can turn into a positive, we teach people every day how to take your mess and make it your message to where you can actually make money by solving a problem for people just from your own life experience of what you've had to overcome. That's an incredible thought, you know, that, wow, that all that pain wasn't in vain. Absolutely. And I will, I will say this before, as we wrap up here, um, you know, I go back to Brendan Burchard. He had, I I took one of his courses and he talks about when you write a book and when he first started wanting to be a writer, and I know you'll appreciate this. He, he was thinking, okay, what conferences do I go to? And, you know, what, what kind of notebook do I need to get? And all this other stuff. And so he started writing, he started reaching out to best-selling authors. And you know what they told him? If you want to be a writer, write. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every day, write. And, and with his, he thought it was about the training. And they said, no, you want to write, you want to be a writer, you got to write. Write every day. Some days will be good writing. Some days will be crappy writing, but you got to write every day. That's how you become a writer. You don't become a writer by learning how to design a book cover. No, that's the people that sells the book, but right. what's the gut? Those are logistics. And you got to but- write. And I think so many people, they're, they're looking at all the other things, but they're focusing on, they're not focusing on the elephant in the room, which is the right. If you want to be a writer, right. start writing. And guess what? The first time you sit down to write a book, you're not going to write how to win friends and influence people. It's not going to happen. But no, you got to start. Sure. You have to start. And, and you have to write, not just for yourself, but if you're writing a journal, you're going to write for yourself. If you're writing a book, you have to write for the reader. Yes. You know, and so when you practice that mantra of, you know, I have to write what people want to read about, not just what I want to write. Then when you work from that intention and you work backwards from there and you really are tapping into that soul, that wise part of you that's eternal, that lives forever, and you're writing that love letter from yourself to your reader, and you know who that person is, then it kind of writes itself. And then it's not like this daunting task of sitting there at a blank screen with the cursor you know, mocking you. And that's what people are afraid of. <laughs> yeah. And that doesn't happen when you, you have to do planning, you have to do research, you have to really know what the market needs. And, you know, Dale Carnegie wrote that book almost a hundred years ago. Yeah. And I read it when I was 15. My dad, that was a form of punishment when I took the family car without permission. He made me read that book. And I thought, can't you just ground me like everybody else? <laughs> and I had, I was so stubborn. It took me months to read it because I would only read it when I wanted to go to the mall and play video games or hang out with my friends. And um, so I, he would make me read each chapter and I had to memorize the little mantra at the end of each chapter. Mm. And that punishment became a way for me to be grounded in a different way as an impressionable teenager at 15 years old. And ever since then I've studied, you know, I've, I've been able to meet and study with so many of my mentors who have built the self-help industry and have become thought leaders in the world. And it has just been such an incredible journey that my dad had no clue. And out of all of our kids, I'm the only one that went that direction, but I was the only one who was punished in such a creative way at a young age. And I do the same thing with my kids now. I pay them to read. Nice. I'm not going to pay them to take out the trash, you know, and I'm going to pay them for skills. And I learned that from another author, from John Maxwell. I went to one of his uh, seminars and he was talking about that. So I pay my kids to read. And, um, you know, it's amazing because it, be- it teaches them skills and they realize the value of learning on their own choice and not just learning from a book or a teacher that is forcing them to learn what they want them to learn. They're choosing what they want to learn and they're choosing who they're learning it from. And there's a lot of power in that. 
Absolutely. Well, I want to thank you for being a tremendous guest on the show today. You you gave us a lot to think about. I'm so thrilled that you came on the show. Where can we find out more about you, especially if we're like, you know what? This is uh, kind of piquing my interest about writing a book. So um, Melanie, can you help me out? Where would they go? So you can go to mydefiningmoments.com with an S. Okay. mydefiningmoments.com, or you can even email me, melanie at mydefiningmoments.com. And there's an application on the website um, to work with us. So we don't work with everybody. We actually look at somebody's concept. Is it something that we can really build up and market and get behind and champion and uh, and really help them launch it the way that it needs to be launched? Um, is there an audience for that book? And we can help identify that. Some people come to me with books they've already written, and we restructure them completely. They change them all around. Um, in fact, we have one author, I know we're wrapping up, but she came to me with a book. She didn't speak English as her first language. She was from Israel and she had hired somebody as a freelancer. Turns out they had plagiarized half her book and she published it and didn't know. And when she brought it to us, we said, there's no way we're going to be able to publish. We discovered it. We said, we can't publish this book. If you're open to writing a new one, we'll work with you. And just two days ago, she hit the number one bestseller list in five countries, which was really exciting. So it was night and day uh, between trying to figure things out on your, on your own in the dark and, you know, listening to people who've done it. And I think that's the value of working with mentors. So wow. yeah, be happy to anybody from your group that comes in, if they tell me that it comes from you, I'd love to be able to thank you for that. And, and thank your listeners for letting us ramble on about this for so long. <laughs> <laughs> well, Melanie, this is an absolute thrill because I, I self-published two of my books uh, myself, didn't know what I was doing. They didn't sell, I think, more than a handful of copies. But you know what? I went through the experience and will I write another book? People ask me about that. I don't know. At this point, it's not even on my radar, maybe. But I want to thank you for coming on the show because I learned a lot. And I want to say that one more time, folks, So, in case you missed it, because I know there's a pause button on the podcast player, but maybe you're out walking the dog. Write the book people want to read, not what you want to write. So tattoo that on your brain because that is powerful. So Melanie, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Take care, everyone. And just before we go, don't forget to head on over to my website, mrproductivity.com and register for my upcoming webinar, How to Deal with Distractions. It's Saturday, June 27th at noon central. Just go to mrproductivity.com, click the banner at the top of my page and register. It's going to be a value-packed webinar. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Mark Stuchowski Podcast. Until we meet again, my friend, go be productive.